All right, well, well, much of what we're going to talk about this, I'm really, I actually really, I'm really excited about the sermon this morning, which I've told a few people means it's not going to be a good sermon. Usually, when I'm really excited, I don't know, it's, it's okay, and then when I'm like, oh man, this is going to be a bad sermon, you love it. So I just quit worrying about my expectations, but, but I'm really excited about, I, there's a lot of good news this morning. I think, I think you'll be blessed by the message this morning. And much of what we're going to talk about this morning will revolve around a question. And so I, I thought I'd just get us, you know, get us smiling a little bit, Rick, get us thinking about some funny questions that kids have asked their parents. So I got three. I just pulled these off the internet. One parent said, my daughter just asked why we say, hang up the phone. And now I feel very old. <laughs> I was like, that is funny. We push a button now. We don't hang up phones. But. My six-year-old just asked me for help finding a place for my own Christmas gift, if you want to know how incapable my children are of doing anything by themselves. So there you go. Mom, I want to hide your Christmas gift. Will you help me hide it from you? That's a good question. And then finally, my seven-year-old asked, why do the mashed potatoes take like, taste like the inside of a French fry? <laughs> And this parent said, if she hasn't figured it out by now, there's no way I'm telling her. So there you go. Questions. But I picked this text this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. I am veering. We've been going through the Book of Common Prayer, but we have a couple parables that I've preached not that long ago. So I kind of veered course, and we're going to be in a text that I don't know if you've ever looked at the Book of Common Prayer, but it, it rotates an A year, a B year, and a C year. We're in year C but this text does show up in other years. It just doesn't show up in our years. I kind of came across it because we, we're near Luke 18 and what we've been preaching. And this story shows up in Luke 18. But I'm going to preach from Mark 10. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Uh, this, this, this story has been on my mind for about eight months. And I, I think I've already shared this with you twice. But this is a unique story. We're going to be introduced to a man. His name is Bartimaeus. That's why I picked Mark 10, because it's the only one of Matthew, Mark. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include the story, but we only learn his name in Mark's gospel, Bartimaeus. So I wanted to preach from Mark's gospel this morning. I, I've been drawn to this text over the last eight months because it's one of the stories, and we're going to lean into this quite a bit this morning, but it's one of the stories that helps us understand how the kingdom of God is turning everything upside down. In very practical ways, actually. One of the things, I, this, I came across this about eight months ago when I was reading a book, and, and it's really struck me. I mean, the Gospels are, if you ever study literature, the Gospels are a slightly different kind of literary work than other things that were written in their time, but they're, but they're kind of like, you know, a historical account of biography. They're a little different because they're Gospel. <laughs> but if you were to read other similar kinds of literary works from the first century in Rome, you would never come across someone like Bartimaeus. Because Rome was organized with a bit of a hierarchy and people were divided and you were assigned a different kind of values based on who you were and where you fell on the hierarchy. And Bartimaeus is on the bottom. We haven't read the story yet. Some of you know the story. Some of you probably don't know the story. But we're introduced to him as a blind beggar. 
He's on the bottom of the social strata in Rome. And so if you read any kind of ancient historical accounts from that time, those kind of people are never mentioned. And yet you read through the Gospels, and again and again we find a leper who's been healed. We find this blind man, and the kingdom of God, the people on the bottom, are as Jesus is rearranging everything, and somehow they're... They're not, just, they're not just invisible and forgotten. They're named. This isn't just any blind beggar. It's Bartimaeus. <laughs> He's named. And not only that, this is what we're going to work through this morning in Mark chapter 10. He's not just named. He is actually, he's actually given to you and I as an example of what discipleship looks like in the kingdom of God. I find that fascinating. What an exceptional story. I mean, you get a sense for how Jesus is turning every Bartimaeus would have been forgotten. And now he's presented to us as a model that we should follow as we follow Jesus. See that, I think, pretty clearly as we go through our text this morning. So if you want to turn with me, and you might actually, if you have... Because gonna, we're going to reference other stories that I don't have slides for. I'm not going to read through them. But you might, if you have your Bible, if there's a Bible in front of you, you might actually want to open to Mark 10 or scroll on your phone this morning. But Mark 10, verse 46, then they reached Jericho. I've never been in Jericho, but I drove by it. I think if I read correctly, Jericho is the lowest elevated city in the world, because <laughs> it's right by the Dead Sea, so it's about 1,000 feet below sea level. It's about, I think, 50. 15 miles east of Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, if you ever read the Psalms about going up to Jerusalem, this is why. Jerusalem's about 2,500 feet above sea level, I think. So, 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 so they're in Jericho, and, they're, and they're, the next story is Palm Sunday. So they're on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they're in Jericho. They're, 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 they're heading out of Galilee to Jerusalem. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. I mean, it's probably a both and. I mean, you've got a growing group of people following Jesus, excited about Jesus, but you've also got this pilgrimage of people heading to Jerusalem for the festival. And so you've got a lot of people traveling together, safer to travel together. And here we meet our friend, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He probably had a common name like John, lots of Johns, lots of Marys. <laughs> And so they knew him as Bartimaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. And he's sitting behind, beside the road. Bartimaeus, again, what we know about, he's a blind beggar. He's, 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 he, can't, he can't see, but he can hear. And he can hear this commotion, hear that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby. And he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, son of David is a very Jewish way of saying Messiah. Jesus, Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is, I've talked about this a little bit. It's a sermon for another day, but you see some of the fickleness of the crowd. The, the, the Gospels actually have a lot to say about mob mentality that I actually could, I think, could be very instructive for many of us who engage online with mob mentality. But the crowd's first reaction to this Bartimaeus, this person that they'd rather not acknowledge. Be quiet, they yell at him. Be quiet, don't bother us, don't bother him. But Bartimaeus didn't care, he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears his cry and he stops. And he says, tell him to come here. <laughs> so, so the crowd's like, quiet, quiet, oh wait, wait, cheer up, cheer up, he wants to talk to you. <laughs> just, just, just like that they turn. 
We'll talk about this. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat or his cloak, and he jumped up. He came to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful story. Here's our question that will kind of be revolving around this morning. Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I want to see. I want to recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. We'll talk about the faith of Bartimaeus. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus. Now, the text says down the road, but I got a little star, a little asterisk. Maybe you have a different translation. It's really literally on the way. Which, if you've read through the book of Acts, the early Christians, it wasn't known as, the movement wasn't known as Christianity, it was known as the way. So I really do think, and we'll walk through why, but Mark is presenting Bartimaeus as the example of discipleship. You want to walk on the way? You want to follow Jesus? Be like Bartimaeus. Follow Jesus the way Bartimaeus follows Jesus. All right, so a few things I want to talk about. Now, we're going to broaden our perspective, as I said, in Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, we get pictures of people that we would think, this is part of what, turning things upside down, we would think these other people would be models of discipleship. The first is this unnamed man, but we generally in Christian circles throughout history have referred to him as the rich young ruler. We meet him in the story in verse 17. We'll talk a little bit more about him in a second. And then the story right before Bartimaeus is James and John. It's one of, I love this story of James and John. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. But you look at the rich young ruler, you're going to think, this is a guy who's got life figured out. He's successful. Of course, he knows what to do. And yet you're going to see that Bartimaeus is different. And he's the model. Even James and John, who've been disciples of Jesus for probably three years at this point, have been learning from Jesus for three years. Bartimaeus, again, is going to be held up as the example. We're going to look at a couple different stories, and we're going to see people who are going to be, again, revolving around this question that Jesus asks, confronted with what they really want. It's one of these things that I return to frequently. I mean, Rick was talking about this gap from meeting Christ and then growing into maturity and learning the ways of Jesus. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. This, uh, this idea of what I, what I want to talk about a little bit is self-awareness. One of the things I've, I say frequently when I talk about discipleship is usually, I mean, almost, always, it begins with this fascination with Jesus. We, we want to learn from Jesus. We begin to learn, and we learn more about who Jesus is, and, and we discover that Jesus is the clearest expression of the heart of God. Jesus is what God wants to say to us. <laughs> but we also learn, this is good Christian orthodoxy, we also learn that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And so we have to rethink what it means to be human in light of Jesus. In other words, we sometimes have to pause and look at ourselves and rethink who we are in light of Jesus. It takes self-awareness to do that. And so what I like to say is, is often we begin to learn about Jesus. And as we learn about Jesus, it opens the door for us to learn more about ourselves, self-awareness. 
what we really want, right? That's what we're going to look at. But then as you learn more about what you really want and you see the ways Jesus leads you through that conversation and his gentleness and his love and his commitment to you, you learn more about Jesus. But then as you learn more about Jesus, you learn more about yourself. And I just think that's the journey of discipleship. And I think a lot of us stagnate because either we don't continue to learn about Jesus, who is this infinite God that will never fully learn everything about, or we just quit learning about ourselves. And then you just stop growing. So let's see what Jesus does here. First, the rich young ruler. Again, I'm not going to read the story for you, but if you want to kind of look at it while I'm preaching, it begins in verse 17. And here's a man who comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has a conversation with him, but basically Jesus knows what this man really wants. He really wants his stuff more than anything. So Jesus says to this particular individual, you need to get rid of all your stuff because you want it more than you want God. You actually want your stuff more than you want eternal life. You want your stuff more than anything. It is an obstacle to you entering into the kingdom. And this man, and this is a sad story because he walks away sad, the text says, because he loved his stuff a lot. Maybe that's something you deal with, maybe it's not, but it's what this rich young ruler deals with. We look at him, we think this man's successful, he knows what life's about, actually he wants the wrong things, or he doesn't know what he really wants. (laughs) He's focused up here on the surface and Jesus is trying to draw, we'll talk about that as we get into this question. But contrast that with Bartimaeus. Two important things, I think, in the Bartimaeus story. First, Mark tells us he throws off his coat, he casts aside his cloak. Why? Why? What's the point of having a cloak? Now, you've got to enter into the world of a beggar. It's not really that cold in Jericho very much. He doesn't need a cloak. But what would you do with a cloak as a beggar? You would lay it out in front of you so that as the pilgrims heading to Jerusalem are walking by, they have a place to put their money. Because you live, as a blind beggar, you live off of the generosity of others. So it's significant. The rich young ruler can't leave his stuff. The most important possession Bartimaeus has is his cloak, and he casts it aside. Do you see the contrast? Bartimaeus is an example for us. The other piece, I think if you pause to enter into the story, I was trying to just enter into it a little bit. Bartimaeus is dependent upon these pilgrims. I mean, heading to Jerusalem for Passover is not... It's not a vacation. It is really a religious observance. But, but, I, but I think we can draw, this is tourist season. <laughs> I mean, they're heading for Palms. I mean, it's Palm Sunday is the next story. They're heading to Jerusalem. This is the big crowd of people. This is maybe when Bartimaeus gets his most generous gifts. Everyone's walking to a, a religious week in Jerusalem. Of course, they want to give to those in need, right? And what does Bartimaeus do? He, he annoys the people who could be generous to him. Quiet down. No, son of David, have quiet down. Son of David, have mercy. He doesn't care. He just wants Jesus. So you're starting to see, right? You're starting to see how Bartimaeus is an example. He's a little bit different. Now, we're going to talk about James and John in a second. That, I think, picks up in verse 35. Again, I love that story. But I want us to focus in a little bit more on this question Jesus asks so that you can feel a little bit more the contrast between James and John and Bartimaeus. Again, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? In fact, I would wager, we'll talk about this, but 
That's what James and John wanted Jesus to say to them. <laughs> he doesn't say that to them, but he says it to Bartimaeus. Now, as we're talking about the kingdom of God being radically different, I, I, I probably don't say this enough, but, the, but you know the reason why the kingdom of God is different. The reason why the kingdom of God is different is because the character of the king is so different. You know that, right? <laughs> That's why everything's different, because Jesus is king. And I want you to even think about, like, think about Jesus is on his way to, be, to Jerusalem to be crowned king of kings and lord of lords. Now it's going to happen by being crucified with a crown of thorns. But he's on his way to Jerusalem to be crowned king. You would probably imagine if somebody approached Jesus, Stop Jesus, wanted to join his procession. Wouldn't you more likely, the way we think about kings, wouldn't you more likely imagine the king saying, what can you do for me? Or even, do you know what you can do for me? That's what you imagine. But this is a king who says, what can I do for you? I mean, you have to feel that the, the character of this king is so different. <laughs> so it's why the kingdom of God is so different. And I talk a lot about how many questions Jesus asks because it's critical. It's, it's foundational. And one of the books I read over sabbatical uh, spent a fair amount of time looking at a bunch of questions Jesus asks. And the author said this. I, I found this helpful. It's good news. I think you'll like this. Jesus asked questions in virtually every situation in which he found himself. In other words, you could say we are in relationship with a curious God. And we must remember, God does not use questions merely to educate us. He's not inquiring of us just to teach us where we're wrong, though I think he does that. But he does so even more in order that we can experience what it's like for someone this beautiful and this good and this authoritatively true to be deeply curious about us. It's not just the explicit nature of the question that matters. It's that God is asking it to us. I want you to think about this. We live in a world, and maybe you feel this way. You're in a crowd of billions of people on planet Earth. Hey, all these other people are probably more important or have bigger needs than you, right? You can begin thinking about it. And part of what is getting communicated again and again in the Gospels is that you have Jesus' undivided attention. Maybe you're new to church. How does that happen? It's God. I don't know. There's some mystery to it, but it's true. Jesus is curious about you. You have his undivided attention. He's looking at you. He's focused on you. That's who Jesus is. And you can taste this if you ever sit with other people, and often people you admire. They're sitting with you and they're giving you their undivided attention, right? We, we often want to be admired by people we admire. Actually, this kind of happened for me this week. You'll love this, actually. That's why I thought I'd share it. I had lunch with Marty Voltz on Thursday. We met at Panera, just Marty and me. I wanted to catch up with him after the sabbatical and just get his thoughts. And Marty really is becoming more and more a mentor to me. I think it's just great because he knows our church and he loves our church. And I think I can say he loves me. <laughs> and so it's just fun to sit with him. And it's just, I, there's a piece of me that I'm at one point, like, I'm having a little chicken noodle soup with Marty. And I'm like, it's just Marty and me. There's no one else 
Marty's undivided attention is on me, and I just love you. And Marty, I mean, in his, I won't go into, I'll probably talk about this more in the future, because it actually was a pretty, a pretty pivotal conversation for me, because Marty was sharing wisdom, but mostly asking questions. And, and this is what questions do. They reframe things for us. Because we lack self-awareness or we make all kinds of assumptions. And then someone comes along. Jesus is always coming along and asking questions to try to reframe things for us. I mean, I was thinking about this rich young ruler and the tension. He, he, he's asking about eternal life, but he loves his stuff more. And, and, and I think one of the things that we get caught up in is we, we think we want these surface things when what we really want is down here. In other words, I just made a list, but I think sometimes we want stuff or we want positions or we want accolades. We, 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 we think that's what we want, but, we, but if we ever pause, if we let Jesus ask us the question, what is it you really want? I think if we're more honest, we'll say things like, I, I just want to be wanted. It's a hard world. I, I want to be confident. I want to be found interesting. I want to be admired by someone I admire. I, I want beauty and goodness in the form of being seen. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I want to be soothed. Like these, and, we, and we tend to think all these surface things will provide that. And if we're going to learn from Bartimaeus, no, 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 the other stuff. No, no, we just run to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus provides everything. I want, to, I want you to hear the good news this morning, church, that Jesus sees you. You have his undivided attention. And Jesus wants you and his family. Jesus never considers time with you a waste. Jesus Christ delights in you. He values you. You may think you're at the bottom rung of everyone, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. I see your faith. You're an example. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's good news, isn't it? In a crowd of billions, Jesus is curious about you and cares. When Jesus asks Bartimaeus what he wants, he's coaxing him not towards acquiring something. We're so, that's what we think. No, no, Jesus is coaxing Bartimaeus toward himself, toward relationship, toward the beauty and goodness he longs to draw us, all of us, into as well. Everything you truly want, Jesus has for you. Everything you're true. If you can pause and be honest and answer the question, what is it I really want? I just have a feeling that what you really want, you'll find in Jesus, wherever you're at this morning. Okay, so having looked at that question a little bit, let's go to the story of James and John. It's the story that happens right before Bartimaeus. Again, the rich young ruler, okay, he's not the example we thought he was going to be, but surely James and John will be. Surely James and John, who have been walking with Jesus and trained by Jesus for three years, they will get it right. Well, not according to Mark. They get it wrong, and Bartimaeus gets it right. I think anytime you see somebody in the Gospels talking to Jesus, you can read it as prayer. It's prayer. And I want you to see the way James and John, if you have your text open, you can see the way James and John begin their prayer to Jesus. Jesus, do us a favor. Or let me translate. Jesus, we have things we want you to do for us. That's how they begin their prayer. 
Jesus, we have some demands of you that we would like you to do for us. Now, here's the other interesting thing and what swirls around this question of what do you want me to do for you? James and John think they know, but they don't know what they're asking for. That's why sometimes we got to be careful with our prayer requests. Because James and John are going to go on and ask, what are they going to ask? They're going to ask for power and prestige and, and approval and recognition. They're asking to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus when he comes in glory, when he comes in his kingdom. Now, I've shared this with you before. We know when Jesus comes in his kingdom, right? It's when he's crucified. And there are people on, the, on his right and left side, they are criminals being crucified next to him. So in essence, James and John think they're making this glorious request to be right and left of Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. And Jesus is like, ah, what you guys are asking is to be crucified in a week. Are you sure you want that? Is that really what you want? You don't know what you're asking. You don't really understand the character of the king and the nature of the kingdom yet. But they come with a very self-centered agenda. Jesus, do for us what we want you to do. Now, I want you to see, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, because I, I, I was thinking about how this could also then become a problem with the way that we're wired. And again, this is why we got to be, I mean, just driving back to self-awareness, self-awareness, self-awareness. Bartimaeus simply says, Lord, have mercy. And we're going to talk about why I think Jesus sees this as so much faith. But Bartimaeus just says, Lord, have mercy. And I think, well, I think the faith piece, we'll talk, but, but, but I think for Bartimaeus, that's enough. There's something in Bartimaeus that says, I, if, I, if I receive your mercy, that's all I need. And then he just waits. Lord, have mercy. And then he just waits. And then Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> so again, you see the contrast. I mean, James and John wanted Jesus. What do you guys want me to do? Right and left? Okay. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Bartimaeus says, just have mercy. And then Jesus is like, well, what do you want? And then he heals and he can see. I mean, it's an interesting contrast. That's why you guys know I went to prayer school kind of, I don't know, six years ago now. I don't know. But, but the, I, I say this all the time. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want him to do. Because a couple things. You may be more like the rich young ruler than you know if you're not self-aware. And you want the wrong thing. And actually, what you think you want isn't what you really want. What you really want is something so much deeper and you're stuck on the surface. Or you're like James and John, you don't even realize what you're wanting. <laughs> really? You want to be crucified in a week? That's what you want? The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want him to do. It's to be properly formed. It's to sit with Jesus, to learn the heart of Jesus. So that, I mean, again, Bartimaeus is being presented to us as an example of faith. To become the kind of mercy, to, to become the kind of person who says the mercy of Jesus is sufficient. And I know this is hard because I know some of you are in hard places. It's way easier to talk about when you're in good places. Sometimes you're in hard circumstances, but faith means life is not going the way I want it to go, but I will trust that the mercy of God is what I need. I will trust the character of this king and that the mercy he provides for me is what I need because he knows more than I do. And he is leading me to understand him more and understand myself more. A lot of us don't do the hard work of self-awareness. 
We need to do the hard work. We need to wrestle with these questions. What, what is it you really want? And as I was thinking about this, you know, I, I think about this often as a pastor. But, but I think the danger in presenting it this way is, is what, we, what we tend to do, and this is why I've leaned more and more and more and more and more into the mystery of God is because in our efforts to simplify a God who should never be simplified, we turn everything into formula. So I could preach this sermon, and 80% of you could walk out of here and be like, okay, I know what I still want from God, but to get what I want, I need to ask for mercy first and then wait five minutes, and then I'll ask him. You're laughing because you know it's true. And the whole point is, if that's how you're praying, you still, you're not Bartimaeus. You haven't gotten this yet. Because if you're trying to leverage Jesus and use Jesus, which way too many people do, you haven't caught the character of this generous king. You haven't understood the nature of the kingdom. You're living for you and you're trapped and you're not free. (laughs) And Jesus wants to set you free. So don't make this a formula. This is just one story. But what we're doing is getting a picture of a disciple in Bartimaeus that the rest of the world ignored, that Jesus says, no, 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 Bartimaeus is awesome. He's an example. And I think some of it, again, I, I, I think this could be good news for some of you. Because, again, the contrast of the rich young ruler, and I know, I know, because people, people come to church often for the first time in the midst of brokenness, right? I've been saying this more and more. You come in and you look around the church and you think everybody's life is perfect and you're the only one here who's a train wreck. And I'm trying to be just, just to normalize this. Actually, a lot of us, our lives are right now a train wreck. They're hard. They're difficult. And if our life right now isn't, because if we were all a train wreck, we'd be a mess. <laughs> Some of us are in good seasons, but we're one degree of relationship away from somebody we love who's a train wreck. Amen. We're all carrying a lot. And sometimes we think, oh, my circumstances are horrible. How could I ever do anything for the kingdom? And let me just present these three different people to you. If I were to give you, just without having preached this far, if I just started the sermon and said, okay, I got three lives you can choose from. We got rich young ruler here who's just doing well by all standards of how we measure life, right? I've got James and John who are fishermen. They've got healthy families and they've left and they're following Jesus now as disciples. You can, be, you can be the rich young ruler, you can be James and John, or you can be a blind beggar. I bet none of us would choose the blind beggar. And yet, and yet it may just be that the life circumstances of Bartimaeus are what have taught him not to make demands of others. It might just be that Bartimaeus has learned, I have no power on my own. I can't make these pilgrims give me money. All I can do is just, I can just rely on the mercy and generosity of others. And that is held up to us as the posture that we should adopt with our king. (laughs) We don't make demands of God. Now we can bring, this again, just lots to say about prayer. We can and we do bring our requests. I mean, Jesus... Bartimaeus cries out with a heart that says, your mercy is enough. And then Jesus does make a specific, what do you want? And then he does exactly what, very specific, I want to see, boom, you can see. I'm not saying we never make demands, but, but you got, be self-aware enough to check your heart. Because if you're trying to manipulate Jesus, 
if you're quote-unquote doing religious things because you think that's going to earn you merit with God, you haven't understood this kingdom. And you haven't really reckoned with the grace of God. You, you've made life a game, and it's not a game, it's a gift. What do we, all the time, life is not a game to be won, it's a gift. And the, and the kingdom of God, you can live differently in the kingdom of God because it's different. Why? Because the king is different. The character of the king. So if you don't understand that, then you need to, you need to get to know Jesus more. Some of you have self-awareness work to do. Some of you have Jesus work to do. I don't understand how they, get to know Jesus. Get in one of these Sunday school classes. Read the Gospels again and reckon with the generous, unfathomable forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus. And then you'll be, you'll be at a place like Bartimaeus where you're like, oh, you're, oh, all, now that I know, I really do know all I need is the mercy of God. <laughs> that's all I need. I think that's why Jesus is so excited about the faith of Bartimaeus. Because all he needs is the mercy of God. So I guess if you have homework, I don't always give homework, but if you have homework, I guess maybe that would be the two ways to think about it. Um, if the kingdom of God just does not make, you can't fathom it, then get to know the character of the king. Try to, to read a little bit more through the, these gospel stories. Commit to joining a small group or a Sunday school class. Just get engaged a little bit more, get to know Jesus. But if you're in a season where you're like, okay, I get the kingdom, but I, th I think I might be trying to manipulate Jesus more than I thought, well, do some self-awareness and try to figure out what is it you really want? Is it, is it you want this grandiose surface thing that everybody in our world talks about, or is it that you want to be wanted? And if it's that you want to be wanted, Jesus wants you. <laughs> and we want you here. We do. Let, let us get to know you. Or maybe, James and John, maybe you've been banging a drum with Jesus because you really want this, you really want this. Trust in the goodness of this king to say, maybe I'm asking to be crucified in a week and maybe I don't really want that. Maybe Jesus knows better. <laughs> and maybe you'll find a little bit more peace and a little bit more purpose and a little bit more freedom if you let go of some of these things that you think you want, but they aren't really good for you. But sit with Jesus. That's what we're going to do right now. I, I, I want to, I'm going to pray, and I, I just, maybe just, I'm going to pray and ask for the mercy of God a few times, if you don't mind. we got a couple minutes. I'll ask for the mercy of God, and then it can be a little quiet, and you can just sit with Jesus. And, I, and this is what I want to say. Like, I've learned as a pastor, just leading, being a part of a church, or leading small groups through the years, all kinds of stuff, that that sometimes you think, well, everybody has to have the same experience all the time. That's not usually how God works. It's where God's always doing different things at different times. So it's possible that some of us are just going to ask for the mercy of God this morning, and then we are going to be invited to wait. But I also, because we see this Bartimaeus story, it's possible that a few of you are going to hear and in God's creative and perfect way for you, maybe, maybe this morning, maybe later this week, you're going to hear Jesus come to you with a question. It might come through a brother or sister in Christ. It might come through the radio. It might come through your own Bible study. You're going to hear Jesus. You, you, you cry out in mercy this morning, and you're going to wait, and he's going to come to a few of us this week, and he's going to ask us very specifically, what can I do for you? Make sure you're ready to answer that question. Make sure you know what you want. And if you don't want, no, then well, Jesus, I'm not sure, but help me, help me discern what is it I really want. 
What is it that I'm looking for? And, and Jesus may, because he does this, he may give you what you really want. Isn't that good news? He still does that today. And I guess my only request would then be, share it with us. <laughs> Let's be a church that celebrates when Jesus moves. Amen? Let's be that kind of place. All right, well, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we just going to take a few minutes here. We want to collectively just ask for your mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Don't pass us by, but hear our humble cry and have mercy. Jesus, we have specific things we want to ask of you, but this morning we're trying to follow the pattern set out for us by Bartimaeus. So all we want to do this morning is ask for your mercy. If we need to repent this morning of trying to manipulate you or maneuver in ways to get you to do what we want you to do, we repent of that this morning. Lord of mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord of mercy, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Amen.